Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. In our last time together, we learned about a man named Jairus. He was the head elder of the local Jewish synagogue in ancient Capernaum, and he sought out Jesus in the hope that he would come and raise his young daughter from the brink of death. But as that story plays out, another significant event takes place, and it's worth giving this its own time. We'll do that now by reading from Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, here is a woman with a real problem. So far, it has cost her everything and only getting worse. To understand this story well, we need to know that this is believed to be a distinctly gynecological problem. One suggestion from the medical community is fibroids in her uterus or something to that effect. We're told the symptoms are out of control and they are causing her to experience ongoing menstrual bleeding. This wouldn't be good for any woman in any time. But in first century Judaism, with its broken legalism, this is one ailment with so many dark ramifications for the suffering woman in question. The law, according to Leviticus 15, was that any woman during her regular menstrual cycle was to be considered ceremonially unclean. Anything she lay on, sat on, or touched was unclean. Anyone who touched her or the items around her was also considered unclean, and the temple was of course off-limits for that time as well. There were reasons for all this that we don't have the time to explore in this episode. It should also be noted that there were other discharges and bodily functions mentioned in that chapter, which men were called to be mindful of as well. But we could also conclude that the law anticipated a woman's regular cycle, not an anomaly like this one. In the first century, the Pharisees went even further with these restrictions by instructing men to stay away a few days before and after the fact so that they could do all they could to not be contaminated by sin or uncleanness. Hopefully you'll remember from previous episodes that in Jesus' estimation, the law of Moses was being applied without that necessary element of mercy. He has quoted Hosea 6 verse 6 a number of times, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, in response to the Pharisaic law-keeping going on. So with that lack of mercy in play, consider what we're reading about here. 
This woman's condition and sense of ritual uncleanness has continued for 12 long years. All that time, she's been excluded from all intimacy, from all contact. She can't be near her husband. She can't hold her children. She can't go around and visit friends. She's isolated. She is disqualified from public worship too. She's not allowed to participate in feasts or gatherings until her body clears itself up. And because the law was being applied inflexibly, this is effectively 12 years of living in an unclean and unworthy state. But like Jairus, this woman hears about the rabbi named Jesus being back in town and takes one massive risk by venturing out into the public. We read here that it's packed with Jesus bumping shoulders with lots of people as he follows Jairus up towards the house near the synagogue. Capernaum was a small village and it had really tight streets. It's the perfect cover for this woman to slip in and see if her need can be met. Her apparent plan is to discreetly slip in, make fleeting contact with the tassels at the end of Jesus' outer garment, then slip out, hopefully healed. Some suggest she did this because she was superstitious. It was said in those days that power flowed from a rabbi's robe. Others make the suggestion that she did this in order to not render Jesus unclean because he had made contact with her. There are more again who suggest she merely wanted to make just enough contact to be healed without engaging in anything deeper. After all, every other rabbi she'd met would have cast her away. She clearly doesn't want to make waves, and she surely can't face the possibility of rejection yet again. So she tries to sneak in for a miracle and hopefully scamper away unnoticed. Now, some think of this as humility. Some of us even resonate with her story right now because we've tried to engage with Jesus in a similar sort of way. I know when I've given in to that feeling of unworthiness, with that sense of failure strong in my being, I've approached Jesus like this. I've had those times where I've prayed things like, Jesus, I know I'm a constant failure and I'm bothering you again. If it's not too much trouble, could you slip me a small thing, a bit of assurance, a bit of blessing, a small need? If you do that, I'll just get out of your way again. I'll get over in my corner and I'll sort myself out. Is that really humility? Well, no, it's not. A theologian named Neil Anderson describes humility as confidence properly placed. And this passage in context provides us with two very different case studies of humility and how it is practiced. Jairus correctly needed to come down a peg or two in his view of himself before Jesus. In his case, he needed to forget himself so that he could give Jesus his full attention. Pride must be humbled for God to move in our lives. However, this woman needed to come up a few pegs. She was locked in self-hate and had been there for so long that it had cost her years of her life. There was more to experience in God. And as we engage with the passage further, we see this play out for her. We read that she does in fact receive her miracle. Religion had dehumanized her, but one touch from Jesus changed everything. She notices immediately that things have changed in her body. But we also read that at that very moment, Jesus noticed as well, and he literally stops traffic to find out who it was that touched him. He knew someone had reached out to him in faith, and he was not going to let that be an anonymous thing. 
This is an important lesson for us as we consider what it means to be a Christian. It is not something designed to be kept secret or observed alone. This woman was aiming for a quick touch from Jesus and was hoping to disappear, perhaps to sort herself out from that point by herself. But Jesus had something far more merciful in mind here. You see, becoming cleansed, according to the Mosaic law, required a little bit more work from her. Before she could hold her kids, reach out to her husband, share bedding and furniture, and even engage in feasts and worship, she would need to endure the humiliation of appearing before the priests and assuring them that this issue of non-stop menstruation had actually ceased. There would also be an additional seven days of remaining clean in isolation after all that, just to make sure. However, Jesus' public address saved her the trouble of all that. It's no accident that this woman's story collides with that of the synagogue ruler. She would now have an ironclad, credible witness of events in her corner who could facilitate her full restoration to community. As Jesus stops the procession and finds the woman in question, he is able to show her to be cleansed, and the whole community will be left with no doubt as to what had just occurred. With one public moment, her whole life could be restored, a more merciful approach compared with the longer, more painful and messy process that came with handling this on her own. The pain of being public right there in the presence of Jesus was a great deal easier than the pain of proving herself in her own way and in her own time. This, of course, calls us to consider further how we work through our failures or needs and how we engage with Jesus in the midst of them. In our need or failure, some of us might shrink away from Jesus. We might spend just enough time to receive forgiveness or some sort of supernatural ministry and then hide away and try to deal with things by ourselves. But really, that's the very reason some Christians don't get the victories they should. They're not victorious over their excessive drinking or smoking or gambling. They don't truly deal with anger or get free from pornography because they're reliant on this anonymous touch without making themselves accountable for the touch they receive. No matter what we are facing in life, struggles, needs, secret sins, addictions, Jesus wants us to come front and center, face to face, and allow him to touch us and make us whole, even if that requires a bit of restorative public attention along the way. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, speaks about Christian accountability like this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There is more to be had in our restorative process with Jesus than just that small touch. He doesn't want to relate to us in just a small momentary way. He wants to relate to us in a way that completely restores us. The best way, as James points out, is to do this in community with other fellow pilgrims on the same journey. 
So friend, how do you respond to the healing, saving, restoring touch of Jesus? Is it a mindset of slipping in and slipping out with as little interaction as possible? Or are you leaning into the more powerful and victorious approach, coming front and center to Jesus with the full knowledge that some of his restorative work involves accountability in community? Can the public touch of Jesus do more for you than the private long-term struggle? Can accountability and prayer with somebody do more to restore you than keeping everything private? Can a habit or struggle be shared with somebody else? Can your issues in life be restored faster by relating to Jesus and his modern-day hands and feet at a deeper yet still safe level? I certainly want you to reach out to Jesus. And I want you to know that you can trust him to meet you where you are at, no matter what you are going through. I want you to know that Jesus is more merciful than what humankind sometimes reduces religion to. But I also want you to know that there are Christians all around wherever you are who will safely partner with you in what you're going through, keeping you accountable for the touch from Jesus you've received. If you lean into that, you will find victories coming your way much faster than you would going it alone. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.